Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. It's interesting. It's, uh, of course, here on Purim. Purim, you know, technically, as we read in Scripture the last two days, and uh, at the celebration, as we read about in, in uh, the book of Esther. And so we are still in the midst of uh, Purim. Uh, and uh, and very, something very interesting just stood out to me regarding the story that I've never really noticed before. And we're going to talk about it today. We're going to start, though, in Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words, and I want you to just keep this verse in the back of your head. You already know this. Most of you already know this verse, but I want you to keep it in the back of your head as we go through the rest of the message. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For some of you, it's your favorite verse. Probably at least a couple of you. It's a popular one, and it's a good one. that We should refer to it. It says this, Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Somebody say amen. amen. Woo, boy, that feels good, doesn't it? We know that, okay, things are going to work together for good for those who love God. You know, and, and, and first of all, we have to love God, and, and the good is not always what we think is good. Okay, hello, okay, but, but nonetheless, God has, has got it. Okay, Chag Purim Sameach. Okay, good. Thank you so much. First of all, let me start with this, my friends. You ready? Here we go. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen right now. Get ready. Haman. <laughs> that was good. That was good. You were ready for it. You really weren't ready. Were you booing at home? I hope you were booing at home. You can't just say, okay, I'm not there. I'm not going to boo. No, man. May his name be blotted out. As they say, I'm going to give you one more chance, especially you at home. You guys got it, but we're going to do it again. At home, make sure you do it, wherever, or wherever you are, the car, whatever. Get ready. One, two, ham sandwich. Well, that should be booed too, probably, uh, you know, if you think about it. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. It's not only is it not kosher, but you know, it, it sends people to heaven way too quick or, or the other way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the count of three, Haman! Okay, good, good job, good job. Okay, now let me say this. That was your boo. <laughs> As I go through this story, I'm going to periodically refer to his name. That boo counts for the whole sermon, okay? Because if you interrupt every time I say his name, it's going to totally, you'll not get the message, okay? You understand? So no more booing because I'll take it personally. I'm preaching. So like, Boo, oh, sorry. Was it that bad? <laughs> so in any case, uh, so you understand. So it's interesting because uh, maybe, I don't know, sometime two, three weeks ago, uh, I showed my, my kids the movie Forrest Gump. 
<laughs> that's right. That's uh, it's it's a great movie uh, for sure. One of the one of the philosophical questions of the movie was: Is life a random? Uh, is life random, like like a feather in the wind, or do people have a distinct destiny? And that was one of the real questions of the movie. And the conclusion of the movie was that it's both. And I think that there's some truth to that uh, in as much as I think that God is usually uh, does not influence, say, what you choose to eat for dinner. You know, it's not like, you know, you can't be too over-spiritualized things. Some people do this. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, what should we eat for dinner? Lord, please, we intercede. Please, God, show us, reveal to us, Lord, the food that we should eat for dinner. I mean, most people aren't going to do that. You know, you, you go and you see what you have in the fridge and you, you make it, right? Okay, so, uh, and not to say that God can't influence what you have for dinner. Sometimes he might. I'm not saying he can't, but maybe he doesn't do that all the time, all right? But God surely, though, on the other hand, has a definite purpose and plan for your life. And, and, and he does care about the little things too, amen? It's interesting because this holiday that we're in right now is known as Purim or Purim. And I never really thought about it that much. You know, I, I'm, although I'm the rabbi here, uh, of course, we've, I've celebrated Purim my whole life, obviously. And uh, sure, you know, I've, I've, I knew what it meant. I knew what Purim means. And, and I knew where it came from uh, in, the, in the story. But there is dripping irony that does reveal the nature of God that I had never really seen before in its fullness until I really examined and, and, and some things just started standing out to me. And I thought, wow, that is just so interesting relative to uh, what we have here in this holiday. So let's go ahead and go to Esther. If you don't usually turn to scriptures with me, you may want to turn uh, to Esther now just because we'll spend some time in Esther uh, in different places. Esther, we'll start in Esther chapter 3 because before we dig into it too much, we have to understand a little bit of the background uh, of the story. And again, uh, if you're anything like me, you've heard the story of Esther literally every year your whole life, right? Going from Purim. And that's beautiful. But, but yet each time we read the scripture, it should be new and fresh. So I want you to think about the, what happens here in this story, and, I'm, and it was something that I had not seen before uh, as it built throughout, really, the whole book of Esther and the story of Purim. Okay, Esther chapter 3, please, Esther 3, verse 2. Background of the story, okay? Here we are. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. Don't boo, don't boo, don't boo. Okay, good. <laughs> and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded him, uh, commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Yay. Yeah, that's good. That's right. Yay. And so, and so here it was that the king said, okay, everybody's got to bow down before Haman, but, but Mordecai did not do this. Now, Haman was not happy about this. He was very upset about this. How upset was he? Skip down to verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, of course he was a Jew, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the poor, that is the lot, 
was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar, which is, of course, the month that we're in literally right now. This is exactly the time frame uh, that, that the, the, the lot fell on as Haman cast this lot. Okay, now, so we see here that Haman was a profoundly bad and evil man. It's, it's interesting because we, we, we celebrate uh, the holiday, the Feast of Purim, as, as it talks about, as we're instructed to in the Scripture, and we rejoice because God gave us uh, victory. But still, man, you got to look at it and say, boy, this was, this was a brutal, brutal time because Haman was a Hitler of his day, who sought to commit genocide against the Jewish people. It's a a sadly a familiar refrain in the history of our people. Because why, you know, friends, as a side note, well, it's because they they worship the the one true God. That's what Mordecai did. Okay, but but also just historically, if you ever want proof that the Bible is is true, all you got to do is look at the history of the Jewish people. Because here you got this tiny, tiny, I mean, really tiny people. I mean, even today, depending upon what numbers you look at, 15 million, 18 million, how many, relative to the population of the world, just a, not even a, 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 a speck almost, and, and yet incredible persecution upon the Jewish people throughout all of history. Even this past week, you, you, you saw things, some things uh, there was a, a big march in Spain. There was something that else went on in a, in a cemetery over in Europe. And, and in the United States, you see this too, is that this incredible persecution for a tiny little, tiny little people. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Like the most persecuted people in history. Why? Why? It can only be something spiritual, friends. It is actually validation that the book is true. Because the adversary hates the Jewish people. And he's tried to eliminate us time after time after time. And this was yet another day. Okay, Haman was trying to do it. Now, Haman could have easily asked for this decree to be made by the king effective immediately. He could have said, okay, Mordecai is not bowing. Right, Andy? I'm going to go straight to the king, and I'm going to talk to the king, and we're going to get this taken care of. He could have done that right away, but he did not do that. He did something unusual that we would look at as a little bit unusual. He cast lots. The scripture says he cast lots to determine the day that he would affect and seek to affect the destruction of the Jewish people. All to be done on one day. He wanted it to be done to eliminate them all on one day. And what day would that be? Will he cast lots to figure out which day? Now, it's interesting. People have have talked about this, and I've uh, and, and, and in researching it and such, people say, okay, they cast lots. What exactly does that mean, cast lots? A lot of people think that had to do with dice. And you know what? We don't exactly know for sure what casting lots in Haman's day and, and uh, uh, what would have been, Persia and all. Uh, however, uh, uh, experts uh, tell us that most likely this would have been more uh, a, a, like a bag full or some kind of a, a container of, of smooth stones or sticks with markings on them and all put in and kind of drawn out of a container and selected randomly, uh, seemingly by chance. The whole point is, is it was focused on chance. It was not an intentional pick. It was by chance. What would be drawn out of the container? What stone, what marking for what date 
for the destruction of the Jewish people would be drawn out. That's casting lots. It's an expression used. Uh, casting lots, it's chance, is by chance. And a lot, you say casting lots, a singular lot, a casting a lot, in, in Hebrew is poor, pool, okay, poor. And the plural in Hebrew is purim, purim, okay, purim. It literally means lots. That's the name of the holiday is lots, as it talks about in the scripture. And what did the lot fall on, as they say? The lot fell on uh, in the month of Adar. Now, also, this is something interesting that, that I, I knew about but hadn't really kind of completely processed is, is the timing of, of that is very interesting when the lot fell. First of all, you have to understand that when he drew the lot to, to, to pick the date, it was in the first month which is when Passover is. I may not have to tell you, Passover is at the end of this month. Passover is coming up soon. It's, it's, well, it's, a, it's, it's at the end of March. Okay, you understand it is the next biblical month. And so when he drew out of the lots Adar, this was a full 11 months, 11 months plus into the future that this, that this date was. So this was like a long time out that he had, that he drew this out which is something that we don't oftentimes think about, and that was the date that was selected. Now, the, the interesting thing, of course, here is that Haman was casting lots to choose a date to kill all the Jews. And, and why did he do this? Why didn't he just pick a date? Well, uh, it, it was most likely, scholars tell us, uh, is he was trying to obtain divine favor from, from the false gods. He was trying to obtain divine favor by... by just choosing something out of the hat, so to speak. But, but, the, the, but the book of Esther is replete with examples and, and the theme, really, of things not going as planned. <laughs> or better said, things not going as man plans, right? Because in the end, well, there was divine intervention on the 13th of Adar. There surely was, he was looking for a divine influence on the casting of the lots and, and the date that came out. And sure enough, there was divine influence on that day. Maybe not exactly as he anticipated. Okay, we're going we're gonna to come back to this, and we're going to come back to this point. But first now, I want to let's go back a little bit in time, because I'm trying to, I want to paint you this picture. It's so interesting. Wow. So let's go back a little bit in time, tick. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> My dad used to do that. It's so funny. Rabbi E used to say, let's go back in time. And then it'd tick off the seconds. And I thought, that's kind of neat. Esther chapter 1. Let's back up a little bit to Esther chapter 1 because I want to look at a few examples of unexpected twists in this story because they are plentiful. Let's go back for a moment. Why was Esther even queen? Why was it that Esther, you know, uh, the, the musician sang for such a time as this, and she's been placed into position for such a time as this. Oh, why was, why, what, was the, what were the mechanics of why she was even in that place to start with? What got her to the spot where she could have the influence that we all know that she had? What brought her to that point? Why was Esther even queen? Ah, here's why Esther was queen, because Vashti did not please the king. Vashti was, of course, the queen before Esther, and she did not please the king. And what might happen, because Vashti did not do what the, what the king asked, what might happen if that were allowed to stand? If what Vashti did by not doing what the king had asked, 
what would happen if that were allowed to stand in Persia? Well, we read what they, what they told the king would happen. Let's, let's read in Esther chapter 1, verse 15. Very interesting. <clears throat> so they asked the question, the, uh, his, his assistants, the king's assistants, because Vashti did not do what the king asked. Verse 15, by law, what is to be done with Queen, with queen Vashti? for failing to obey the command of King Ahasuerus conveyed by the eunuchs. Then Memucan answered in the presence of the king and the princes. They were trying to decide what to do. This is before Esther was in the picture. And this is what the advisor said. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and peoples who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's conduct will go out to all the women, making their husbands contemptible in their eyes by saying, well, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. Woo. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of this matter concerning the queen will respond similarly to all the king's princes, and there will be no end to the contempt and anger. <laughs> Pretty interesting, wow. So think about this for just a minute here, because if you follow the logic of why they, they, they dumped Queen Vashti, which got us to Queen Esther, okay, directly, why did they do that? Think about this for a minute. Esther came to power because of one of the most misogynistic moves that we read about in Scripture, made by this pagan king. Uh, let, me, let me put it another way. Perhaps... Perhaps the most heroic woman in Scripture came to power as a direct result of male chauvinism. <laughs> now think about that for just a minute. The king said, the king said, we need a new queen to show how women must do whatever their husbands ask them to do. And then, in the end, the Jewish people are saved because the king does what Esther asks him to do. Pretty interesting. Women and girls, I want to talk to you gals for just a minute. There is systematic discrimination, uh, uh, even very much today in the world, no doubt. But listen, ladies, do not let this stop you from what God has called you to do. There's a reason why this is such a, an important story in the Bible, because it really highlights and focuses on the, the heroism of this woman, this woman who was willing to stand like the, the psalmist and musicians were singing a little bit earlier. Esther could have been intimidated into silence, but she was not. She said, I'll go before the king even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Man, friends, that, that is seriously powerful words. That is inspiring words. That, that, that really excites me. And, and impresses me as to the courage of this very young Jewish woman who, who, who was in the middle of, of absolute total chaos. And it was like all fallen seemingly on her shoulders. Unbelievable pressure. And the courage of this woman 
You need to hear that, my sisters. Hear that. Hear the, the courage and, and, the, and the responsibility that can come upon us. But yet, how God can use you in such a powerful way. But how interesting it is to see how God turns something completely upside down in this story. It's unlikely that that could have been just by chance. What an interesting dynamic. The very way that Esther came to power was completely inverted. God used to save the Jewish people. Hmm. Esther chapter 6, let's move ahead a little bit. Later in the story, we see that Mordecai, the same one who would not bow down before Haman, had revealed a plot to kill the king. You know this, he had, he had discovered this plot to kill King Ahasuerus, but seemingly by chance, he had never been rewarded, <clears throat> and, and, and it was discovered. And when the king realized it, you, you, you all know the story, the king suddenly realizes that Mordecai had not been rewarded for exposing a plot, an assassination plot to kill the king. And he's, he's reading this, and he says, boy, Mordecai wasn't rewarded. And he's like, wow, that's interesting. Oh, that's not good. I, I got to reward uh, that guy. And at that moment, there, there's Haman uh, walking in, right? He says, Haman, bring him in here. Okay, and then Esther chapter 6, verse 6. Let's follow along. Very interesting. Starting in verse 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for a man whom the king desires to honor? Now, of course, more, uh, rather, Haman didn't know that, that the king had Mordecai in mind. He just, he just heard the question. He just walked in, and the king says, what should be done for a man whom the king desires to honor? Now, Haman thought to himself, well, who would the king desire to honor rather than me? <laughs> so he thought it was him. So Haman replied, okay, he was thinking of himself, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse on which the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be placed in the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Let them clothe the man whom the king desires to honor and parade him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming, this is what is done for a man the king desires to honor. This is what is done for a man the king desires to honor. Wow, boy, that's grand. It's a very public display, right? It's, it's like, oh boy, <clears throat> narcissist. Uh, the king said to Haman, go quickly, take the robe and the horse, just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything that you recommended. <laughs> Man, that's just, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man, gosh. That, that is definitely a plot twist in the story, my friends. Beloved, don't be afraid to stand up for God and the truth. Beloved, don't be afraid to stand up for God and the truth like Mordecai did because God will honor you even if man doesn't. Sometimes you don't get honored here on this earth, but you'll get honored in the next. But regardless, stand up for what's right. Always, friends, don't be afraid. I don't care what other people say. I don't care if everybody else is bowing. It doesn't matter. You gotta stand up for what's right. Don't bow to the evil one. Don't bow to the world. Here, here was, was Mordecai's greatest tormentor who would now be the very one to honor Mordecai. 
<laughs> because he, the king had Haman <laughs> pull Mordecai on the, on, the, on the horse, saying this is what happens to the man that the king desires to honor. Very, very, very deep. Oh, my goodness. Haman was livid. How interesting it is to see how God turned something completely upside down in this story. It's unlikely this could have been just by chance. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, Haman's wife uh, was, had, had a clue that it wasn't going to go well. Uh, his wife had an insight. He should have listened to Zeresh. But, uh, but yet, on the other hand, uh, she wasn't totally right. Uh, we'll read Esther chapter 5. Uh, Haman continued to be disturbed uh, to kill all the Jews. This is actually, I'm going back in the story a little bit. And Mordecai in particular. Okay, how much so, how much so that Haman wanted to destroy Mordecai? Boy, it's interesting because just as he uh, had to exalt Mordecai on the horse, uh, he also <laughs> just earlier had wanted to lift up Mordecai in a different way. <laughs> Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Then Zeresh, Haman's wife, and all his friends said to him, let them set up a gallows 50 cubits high, and in the morning ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go happily with the king to the banquet. This idea delighted Haman, and he ordered the gallows to be built. Okay, so, so his, his wife and friends, and this was right before everything went down with the horse thing, said, listen, you hate, you hate Mordecai so much, why don't you have a gallows built to hang him on it? And in fact, man, make this thing big, dude. 50 cubits high. 50 cubits high. Big, tall. I mean, it's, that's unbelievably high. It's many, many story building. High, high gallows to hang Mordecai. Get ready, man. He's, that, that's what he was thinking. But as you all know, and as we read in the story a little bit later, we move to Esther chapter 7, as we know, what happens? Esther pled for her life and the lives of all the Jewish people. And she said, Lord, or he said, she said, King, please, there, there's, a, there's a bad man trying to kill me and all my people. Who is this evil one? And she said, it's Haman. Everybody goes, boo, even in, even in Haman's court, the king's court of the day. When she said, it's Haman, everybody went, boo. No, I, I don't know. It doesn't say that, but I'm just speculating. It, it, it builds so much, you know, right, Mitch? Okay, but, <laughs> but in any case, uh, but the king loved Esther, and, she, and, and he was very enraged at Haman's plot, as you would imagine. So what did the king do? We're going to see it happen again here. Esther chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, <laughs> when, when the king was mad at Haman for putting a move on Esther and, and, and trying to kill all, all the Jewish people, Harbona said, look, a gallows 50 cubits high is standing next to Haman's house. Haman himself made it for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. The king said, hang him on it. Oh, boy. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's rage subsided. Simply, wow. Friends, here it was. Haman had a gallows built uh, in, in a, about around, somewhere around 75 feet tall. We're talking about a really high that could be seen from all around a 75-foot-tall gallow uh, built a gallows to hang Mordecai, but instead, he was hanged there himself. 
How interesting to see how God turns something completely upside down in this story. And it's unlikely that could have been just by chance. My Jewish friend, if you're here or if you're watching or listening, belief in, in Yeshua may seem antithetical to what you know. Yet God brought you here and God brought you to listen for such a time as this. It can be turned upside down. My Gentile friend, God has his ways and brought you together with his Jewish people for such a time as this. Unexpected? Sure. Shocking, even. <laughs> Esther chapter 9. But this is sometimes how God works. Sometimes God likes to do the unexpected, something that turns things upside down, things that are not just due to chance. Well, let's get back to that first thing. What about the 13th of Adar? Remember he, remember he cast a lot, and it came up Adar 13. That's, that's what it came up uh, when he, they cast the lots. This was the date chosen for the destruction of the Jewish people by Haman via the lots, or uh, in Hebrew, the Purim, which means lots, okay? Esther chapter 9, verse 1, here we go, 13th of Adar, here was the date that was chosen by the lots. Consequently, on the 13th day of the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, the king's edict and his law drew near to be carried out on that day. The enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but contrary to expectations, the Jews gained the upper hand over those that hated them. Wow. So on the 13th of Adar, the date chosen by the lots, by Haman, the Jewish people were saved and not killed. But interestingly... Verse 12 tells us that on that day, Haman's 10 sons were killed on the 13th of Adar. So it was a day of great destruction, but not for the line of the Jewish people, but for Haman's personal family line. How interesting <laughs> to see how God turned something completely upside down in this story. Unlikely, this could have been just by chance. A day of planned destruction turns into a day of great deliverance. My friend, it can happen to you in your life. It can happen to you in your life. My beloved, what the adversary means for evil, God can intend for good. Amen. Let's get ready to conclude by Proverbs chapter 16. When it comes to the, to the lots, which is really symbolic of chance, Here's something very important to remember, my friend, Chavarim. 
Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but their very decision is from Adonai. How interesting it is that, how interesting it is that on this holiday, of all holidays, it's called Purim or lots. Because I can't help but notice that God so often in this story turned something completely upside down and it's unlikely that it could have been just by chance. Friends, time after time after time, things can look askew. Things can seem wrong in your life. They can appear impossible. They can appear difficult. There can be challenges in your life. But Adonai is the one who in the end makes the decisions. Like it says in the book of Proverbs, regardless of what it is that you're going through, remember the story of Esther and remember that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So my friends, truth be told, with God, you are Never taking a chance. Happy Purim. The title of my message is Lots. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody here today who's <clears throat> never given their life to God. If that's you, if you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, repeat this prayer after me. If you're watching online or if you're listening via podcast or if you're here, repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I humbly come before you. I ask Yeshua to come into my heart. I believe he's risen again sitting at your right hand. Forgive me of my sins, God. I'm sorry. I'll live the rest of my days for you. Thank you, God, for saving me as you did the Jewish people years, many thousands of years ago and even today in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you're here today, lift your hand and we'll, I just want to thank the Lord for you. And if you, and if you said that prayer for the first time and you're watching online or listening, please send us an email so we can celebrate with you. Was there anybody who said that prayer for the first time here? Just lift your hand. God bless you. Yes, thank you, Lord. And for all the, for all the rest of us, Lord God. Thank you, God, that you are not a God of, of, of chance. Lord, that notwithstanding that we have free will, but at the same time, Lord, you are in control. You are in control. And, and God, if, if, if our purposes are your purposes, and we're called according to your purposes, Lord, then things will work for our good. Thank you, Lord, for this. I pray for each person today who's in the sound of my voice. God, no matter what it is they're going through, Lord, encourage them. Encourage them, Lord. Encourage them with the story of Queen Esther and Mordecai and taking this stand like Mordecai did and, and being courageous for you like Esther did. 
Thank you, Lord, for these courageous people who set an example for us, Lord. And thank you for showing us time after time after time after time in the holiday of Lots, the Feast of Lots, that with you there is no chance. It is yes and amen. Thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. I think we all need to hear that, especially in this day and time when there's so much out there. Lord, we trust in you. That's the bottom line. Thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you. And we ask these things, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.